Well, I hope that you have begun to pay attention to the national conversation that's been bubbling up for a little while about the value of higher education. The return on investment, is it worth it? The astronomical cost of education for our children to go forth to university and to college. Is it a good return on investment? You know, modern universities often promise a transformative educational experience. And we have to ask the question, well, what is the nature of that transformation? What is the outcome of this so-called modern secular higher education? Is it worth it? Does it bring a blessing and a flourishing to our children, to our families, to our churches and communities? Well, I think sadly, more and more often not. I hear more and more stories of parents sending their children off to some astronomically expensive school for a couple of years, and then the the kids come home weaponized against their own family, against their own people. Think about it. They come home resenting their ancestors and despising their country and their religion and even their race. And and the discipleship of modern secular Marxist humanism doesn't bring flourishing, but it brings grievance and anger, hostilities and floundering and fighting. The discipleship of the fallen world. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ calls us into the school of Christ, into the school of his discipleship. And guess what, friends? That school is free for us. Because Jesus paid it all. And the return on investment is more than we could ever imagine because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That no eye has seen or ear heard what the Lord has in store for those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. Well, as we live out by the power of God's grace and by his spirit, the Lord Jesus, he changes us and he transforms us as his people into a family of love. A family of forgiveness and service and praise and peace. And that's the path for us in the school of Christ. And that's what Jesus is calling us into ever deeper As we walk through the pages of the Gospel of Luke, to walk with Christ, to learn from Christ, to grow in the school of Christ. So hear God's word. Luke 17, verses 1 to 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. 
Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from, a, from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The word of the Lord. May he write it upon our hearts and souls for all eternity. Amen. Well, that brings us to our first of four thoughts this morning. In the school of Christ, we learn to become beacons of light, not stumbling blocks of darkness. That's what we see in verses 1 to 2 as Jesus declares, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. You see, here we have Jesus addressing the disciples specifically, but this is a mixed group, isn't it? The Pharisees are no doubt still skulking around and listening. And we also read here in verse 5, there are the apostles right there in the midst. And Jesus is saying, you must watch yourself. You must watch yourself in your heart. That's what it means to be in the school of Christ. You must watch over your heart. And you must also watch over your witness and your teaching. You must watch over the little ones in your midst. We're called by Christ to learn and to know the reality of continual temptation. And also the reality of the heinous nature of this greatest sin to cause a little one to stumble. Well, we first have to learn to watch over our lives before we can watch over the little ones. Well, how do we become beacons of light? Well, we deal with temptation in our heart. We deal with sin immediately. We deal with it in the light of God's word. We deal with it in the light of the gospel. And we must protect the little ones from being tripped and scandalized and made to fall by the lie of hell that Jesus is not the Savior. That's the horrible scandal that he's speaking of here. Be warned. In this illustration that he uses of a millstone being tied around your neck that you'd be thrown into the sea. I mean, this is staggering. It's better that you would die this horrible death and not exist than to cause a little one to stumble and not come to Christ. Well, we have to be honest, brothers and sisters. We do tempt one another to sin as we live out our lives in this broken world, in a broken family, and broken relationships. It's true. But Jesus is being specific here about the specifically heinous sin of a gospel stumbling block. And the word that he uses here is the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create stumbling blocks, obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. The scandal of false teaching that is leading someone away from Christ instead of coming to Christ. I and mean, think about this great evil. 
This is no doubt directed to the Pharisees right there in the midst. What have they been doing? They're supposed to be leading Israel into deeper truth to follow Jehovah and Jehovah's Messiah. But what are they doing? They're rejecting Christ. They're denying Christ. And they are causing confusion. And they are leading the people away from Jesus, away from salvation, not to him. Think about the way that they mocked him and disputed with him. They said things like, see, he doesn't keep the law. Look at him. Don't follow him. As Jesus lived out the freedom of the law and perfect obedience, they would mock him and say these things. They said, look, he, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He can't be the Messiah. Don't follow him. They said, look, he heals on the Sabbath. You can't follow him. They denied his sonship. They denied his father. They said, you can't go to this man. He's not the Messiah. What a scandal. What a horrible thing to be the impediment for someone coming to the way of salvation and peace. Well, watch yourselves. Think about the vulnerability of all of God's people. This is not just young people as in age, but those who are tender in the faith, young in the faith, those who need to be discipled and raised up. And I think it's just so horrible and sad, but we see in each and every generation in the church that there are false teachers that rise up in church leadership and lead people astray and deny the Christ. It's happened in the history of Presbyterianism. It's horrible. And brother elders, we must watch ourselves and our witness to make sure that we're not leading people away from Christ by the way that we live or the way that we speak. We can't bring confusion. And brothers, you fathers, you heads of households, think how important it is for you to lead your little ones to Jesus. Don't be a stumbling block to your children. Dads, together with the their wives need to raise up their children and point them to Christ over and over and over again. This is what it means to walk in the school of Jesus. Well, that brings us to our second thought here, verses 3 to 4. Secondly, in the school of Christ, we learn the power and the imperative of true forgiveness. That we've just sung about in the glorious Lord's Prayer. Verses 3 and 4, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You see, this is just a short summation of the parallel teaching in Matthew 18 on church discipline and how we are to go about this. And it starts first and foremost individually and privately, one-on-one. If somebody sins against you, you go to them, you go to your brother or your sister, you tell them their fault. And hallelujah, often the Holy Spirit brings conviction and there's repentance and there's asking for forgiveness. And then it's your joy, your delight to forgive them. And there's this cycle of restoration and gospel glory. Of course, this is only possible because of the gospel. By the power of God's work, working through Christ, we're forgiven. We're sinners that need restoration. But we must be about this reconciliation and restoration of relationships because it's what it means to be in the school of Christ. 
First and foremost, having received forgiveness, we extend forgiveness in the school of Christ. Because sadly, sin happens. It happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens in the church. And we need the gospel power to be applied that we might have the result of glorious gospel reconciliation. Hallelujah. And of course, what Jesus is talking about here is the full, complete cycle of restoration. And there's the act of repentance taking place. Your brother, your sister says, I repent. And then you gloriously extend it, the forgiveness. But you know, when somebody sins against you and they refuse to deal with it and they refuse to repent, you still must forgive them in the Lord. You lift it up to the Lord Jesus and forgive them, but there's no full reconciliation, restoration in the relationship because sin's still in the way. But you still offer it up to the Lord. You pray to the Lord to give them repentance and faith. And you must or your heart will grow bitter and hard and angry. You have to give these things up to the Lord. But what Jesus is showing us here in the school of Christ is the full cycle of repentance and forgiveness and restoration in the family of God, which is a reason to praise the Lord all the more. And we see the full picture of this gospel lesson on display, don't we, in Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Well, this is the goal of our relationships in Christ, in our families, in our church. That we would live together more honestly and openly in love. Seeking the Lord. Holding one another accountable. Because unchecked sin is like a black hole that just sucks everything into it. First a person, then a relationship, a marriage, then a family, and then churches. But not so in the school of Christ and the grips of God and his love for us in Jesus. Jesus drives this home with this seven times thing. If it happens seven times in a day. Your brother sins against you and he comes and confesses it and asks for forgiveness. You forgive him. Just think about it. When we consider our own relationship with the Lord, we need way more than seven times in a day, don't we? In a normal day as we live out our lives, we sin against him time and time and time again. And yet in the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, he works that mystery and that wonder so that we cry out from a heart of faith the gift of repentance unto life and say Lord forgive me and it's his delight to give us fresh grace and forgiveness in the school of Christ well that brings us to our third thought in the school of Christ here in verses five and six we learn the nature and the power of living faith this is awesome The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You see, the Pharisees, they didn't have true living faith. They were not men of faith. They were not of Father Abraham, the father of the faithful. 
They didn't have faith in Jehovah. They didn't have faith in God. They had faith in themselves. They had faith in the gold of the temple, but they didn't have faith in the glory of the Christ that was standing right in front of them. And you see, having heard all this, all these impossible things in the flesh that we are called to do as followers of Christ, the apostles, they do the right thing, don't they? They cry out. It's a prayer. Increase our faith. How in the world can we do this? Isn't that the right response? Because God's calling them to walk as the Son of God walks on the earth. Wow. Don't we need to cry out, oh Lord, increase our faith? I mean, it's impossible in the flesh to extend forgiveness and to walk in the power of a holy witness. Well, I believe. Help my unbelief. But hallelujah, brothers and sisters, we need to see what faith really is. The nature of faith, so that we can understand the power of faith. Faith is a gift, and it's supernatural, and it's rooted in Christ in a person, the Son of God. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And applying that to this illustration of the mulberry tree and the mustard seed, this should just blow our minds at what is this gift of living faith and how we use it in this world as we come to the Lord in prayer. You see, we don't have to come to the Lord as uber-Christians somehow, you know, pumping ourselves up. That we come in our own strength and then he'll hear our prayers. No, we come weak. We come needy. We come like a little child trusting and believing. And the gift of faith is powerful. That's what Jesus is showing us. And and we probably don't really understand it or thrill to understand it as we should because we don't know what in the world the mulberry tree is. I had to look it up. But come to find out, it's in the same family as a fig tree. And I know about fig trees. And the thing about mulberry trees and fig trees is when you see one, what you see above the ground is just a little sliver of what is actually below the ground. The amazing root system that you just couldn't even believe. Holding it fast and strong. You know, it's a lot like an iceberg. You see this iceberg above the water. It's just a small reflection of that massive thing below the water and you see this is what Jesus is telling us here that if you come with the gift of faith even a little teeny speck of the real deal gift of faith in Jesus the size of a mustard seed it's a teeny little thing right a pinhead feather faith and you ask in faith According to the will of God, you can do mighty things. You know, it takes modern machinery to rip up a mulberry tree. And Jesus isn't showing us some kind of a hocus-pocus magical incantation. If you do this, then you can do all these wild things and amaze people. He's talking about something so much greater than the physical. It's the spiritual of what he can do through us in faith. You see, just like gospel grace is a mystery, the gift of faith is a mystery. 
And when the Lord lays hold of you by his mercy and draws you to himself, he gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires and he gives you a new power, that thing called living faith in Christ. So that when you ask according to his will in the name of Jesus, he does amazing things. Like when you know you desperately need patience because of your sin and your flesh. And so you cry out, oh Lord, give me patience. And in faith you seek his face and then you begin to grow in patience. This is supernatural. It's amazing. This is what the Lord does. You cry out, oh Lord God, sanctify me. And he rips the tentacles of sin out of our hearts that are dug in deep. And he gives us a new heart, a heart for the Lord, a heart of love. You see, the littlest speck of living faith, it can accomplish mighty, mighty things. Think about over the course of your life, older believers, as you have stepped out in faith and prayed in faith, hasn't God done amazing things? Beyond what you could have imagined or expected? The gift of supernatural faith, to pray in faith. God hears the prayers of the weakest Christian who cries out with the smallest gift of faith. And he does a great and glorious work in our hearts and lives as we live and as we walk in the school of Christ. That's what it means to be in the school of Christ, to walk by faith. Well, this brings us to our final thought. In the school of Christ here in verses 7 to 10, we learn servant-hearted, humble obedience. You see, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their their idolatry, for their love of self, and they, they actually thought that they were better than others. They thought that since they had circumcision and the promises and the temple, holy worship, the covenant, that in some way God was beholding to them, that God owed them through their obedience, through their standing. They had this distorted, pride-filled idea that somehow God was indebted to them for their supposed labors and obedience. And this is the elder brother syndrome. And Jesus has just recently in our gospel given the parable of the, the prodigal son dealing with the older brother. And so here Jesus is giving a clear corrective for us in the school of Christ. We need to watch ourselves. This little parable of the servant diligently doing what he's supposed to do for the master. That's who he is. That's what he was created for. And he goes forth and does his work, his labors. And when he faithfully executes the calling of his responsibility that he, in fact, is created for, he's simply doing what he's supposed to do. And Christ is driving home the point here. When he did that, what he was created to do and what he was commanded to do, well, did the master thank the servant for his duty? Did the master then become indebted to him? No. He was simply doing his job. What he was created to do and what he was commanded to do. So as creatures created in the image of God, we are created and commanded to be about the work of rightness. Righteous living, holy living, according to the commandment of God, according to his image stamped upon us. 
So Jesus answers the obvious question and declares that when you have done what you've been commanded to do, you're simply fulfilling your creaturely responsibility to the Lord. You know, on one level, our modern ears, we, we hear this, and this seems harsh. Masters and servants and all that, I mean, we should just all be one. But you see, we can't even do the basics of what we're created to do because the fall happened and it is that bad. And Adam plunged us all through his rebellion into our own rebellion and bankruptcy, spiritually speaking, before the Lord. We can't think rightly, we can't speak rightly, we can't act rightly. And so we all deserve God's punishment and his holy justice Because we're not faithful servants doing what we were created to do and commanded to do. I ask, why does God save anybody? Is it us? Is Soli Dea Gloria? For his glory alone, he saves his people. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's stripping us of pride and he's showing us it's all of grace. You see, we don't glorify God. We reflect his glory back to him when we receive his grace and we come alive to the good things of the gospel. You know, it is amazing to think about our hearts and how quickly they turn away from free grace, isn't it? Well, Jesus, in his saying, you're just unworthy when you've done your duty, he's pressing forth the idea of merit and wages Doing something in order to be paid your wage, what you're owed. But you see, the wages of sin is death. And we're quickly building up those wages as sons and daughters of Adam in our own fall and rebellion. But you see, in Christ, because of Christ and his merit in him, we are not servants. We're not slaves. We're adopted sons and daughters. In the glory of the gospel. And you see, God the Father is not indebted to anyone except for his son. Through the mystery and the wonder of the covenant of redemption. Son, go forth and redeem that people that I'm giving to you. And Christ came forth and paid the bride price through his life. Through the glory of his death, he paid for our wages of sin upon the cross. The worthy one, the holy one, the Lamb of God. The painful, shameful death that he experienced. All of our sinful, hell-bound wages crushed upon him. And his glorious gift of righteousness and peace and forgiveness given to us as a gift. The blessed exchange. So here we are standing before the Lord Almighty as sons and daughters of God in Christ. And we're confronted by the one who was Lord and King over all from all eternity past. He wasn't a slave and he wasn't a servant. He was the son of God. But what did he do? He humbled himself. And became our servant to save us, bankrupt sinners. As Paul declares in Galatians 4, 
at just the right time, he came forth, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might become sons of God, daughters of God, through the glory of gospel adoption. And you see, knowing that, brothers and sisters, that should cause us to well up with this sense of wonderful gratitude and worship and joy. But you know, the Adamic nature, it keeps pressing its way in on us, doesn't it? And we begin to think, well, I'm doing a lot around here. I'm serving in ministry and putting up with sinners. Don't I deserve something better? But you see, we have to once again come back to the reality of our poverty and our bankruptcy before the Lord in and of ourselves and confess. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It's all of him. It's his grace, his mercy. That's the only way that we can say nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Isn't it great to be here on the Lord's day and offer up praise and worship? This has been awesome. The praising, the singing, the Christ-centered prayers, the gospel read, and the joy of it all. The Lord's Day, what a gift. But each and every day and every moment is a gift of worship for God's people. We have to get that through our heads. As we serve the Lord each and every day out of grace, it's worship. Loving our spouses is worship. Loving our children is worship. Serving those in need, that's worship. Living out our divine vocation in the world, that's worship. All of life is worship. But sadly, even after a lot of years of walking with the Lord, don't we so easily, with bitterness and grumbling, begin to not sound the rich tones of worship before the watching world? It's just not the same. The wires get crossed. The power seems to go away. You know, one of the greatest bell towers in all the world were Big Ben rings in London. It's amazing that it doesn't take a whole lot to diminish the bell and its sound, its tone, its power. You know, that massive bell, that massive tower in London, it just takes a little bit of dirt, a little bit of dust, a little debris, and it muffles it. And that's what sin does to our hearts. It just muffles the sounds of our joy and our worship. So we got to repent. we got to look to the Lord and the school of Christ. And we need to have our heads thumped every now and then. And you see, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's thumping us in this little parable. I had a friend when I was a kid whose grandfather would from time to time come up to his grandson and thump him right on the head. I mean, kind of hard. It scared me a little bit. I stayed clear of that, Grandpa. But he would do it. He would saunter over. His grandson would start acting like a knucklehead, you know? Raising, ranting, raving. And he'd thump him on the head and say, Wake up, man. This isn't how we act in this family. You see, Jesus has given us a little thump on the head to wake us up. In love. You see, we don't deserve anything. But God's grace is free and good and eternal. So we have the Savior's love poured into us. 
the glory of his benediction so that we're not diminished but we're built up in the gospel as we walk in the school of Christ and the school of discipleship that causes us to flourish and to grow and as we do this as we get a little sideways we need to be reoriented we need to have our eyes back on Jesus back on the gospel that's why we come back here one and seven and we're refocused and we look to the Savior and we're reminded yes we easily fail over and over again and that's part of the sanctification struggle and journey but God's grace is superabounding and raises us up again as we go forth so brothers and sisters as we consider all of this let's be about crying out oh Lord increase our faith keep our eyes on Jesus Let's keep looking back to the gospel over and over again to be reoriented, to be filled with grace and mercy and love. And let's be watchful about the sin and temptation that's in our own hearts and deal with it immediately and take it to Jesus and watch over the little ones in our church, the young ones, that they would never be hindered from coming to Jesus by our words or by our witness and oh, let us be about the great gift of giving forgiveness one to another out of the free forgiveness we have in Christ. And as we do that over and over again, our faith will grow and we will be servants that strive to serve the Lord in the school of Christ right here. And it will be for a flourishing and a blessing and a stability and a peace for us for our church, for our families, and what a witness that'll be to this community as we go forth. May our lives be a testimony of God's grace, love, and power to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Lord Almighty, we thank you so much for your word that is pure and true and for your spirit that opens up our eyes and our hearts to receive it. We do ask, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to resound with a great amen and hallelujah as we consider that we were hell-bound, unworthy, dead sinners, and in Christ we've been made alive, adopted, called into the family of Jesus. What a joy, what a wonder. Give us greater faith, hope, and love and help us to live out before this watching world with a powerful witness rooted in humility to the praise of your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.